if you go to Luke chapter 4, you find Jesus quoting those words. And he quotes those words, basically telling his hometown, his mission, his purpose for being here. And so this is what Jesus says to the crowd that day. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has and so today we're starting Advent. And most of us, Advent is the Christmas season, right? But really, the, the definition of it, it's the arrival, it's the coming of something really good. And today we're going to talk about hope. Finding hope in the struggle. That doesn't sound like the place you find hope, but that's what we're going to talk about. Finding hope in the struggle. I hate insects, and I don't know if you guys do, and that sounds weird, but I really don't like insects, but I really don't like flying insects. I mean, really, well, I mean, my long list of questions I'm going to ask God is, why? Why would you let insects fly? It just makes it even worse. They're crawling on the ground, you can step on them or get away from them, but they're flying. It's terrible. And in Kansas, we had what I call locusts growing up, but they're cacao. And, and these things would be in the ground for years, okay, just buried in the ground. And they would crawl up out of the ground onto the trees. And in the summertime, the trees would be filled with these cacao. And during, during the day or night, whenever they would take their slimy bodies and squeeze out of their skin, and then go flying off. And the thing about when they flew, they had these great big eyes that they can't actually see. They just run into whatever's in the way, and they left their skin on the tree, these little hard brown cacada skin. They were so gross. But, but what's grosser than the cacada is cacada killers. But we had a house when the kids were little that had cacada killers everywhere. And so these fly insects were that big. And they would fly around and try to eat the cacada. All I could I never actually saw one eating them, but we were terrified of these things. Because they would just fly all over. And the, the kids, at one point, we had it so bad one summer, the kids wouldn't even go in the backyard. They, they were scared. We had to send them out with tennis rackets to protect themselves. <laughs> and they made a game of hitting the cacada killers to protect themselves from them. That, that has nothing to do with anything. I just, I don't like flying insects, okay? Let's <laughs> just start there. But there is one insect that I really have a hard time saying it's an insect. It's a butterfly. Yeah. I mean, butterflies, those are nice, right? You can hold them in your hand, they will bite you, they're beautiful, the colors. And, and the most amazing thing about the butterfly is it goes from a caterpillar, a little fuzzy caterpillar, wraps itself up in a cocoon, and then turns into a butterfly. I mean, that, you have to admit, that is cool. Say, so God, you get an A-plus on that one. Okay, that's a good insect. I mean, that's a cool thing to happen. But a long time ago, I heard, I don't even know if it was in science class, I don't know if I learned anything in science or not, but I did learn this fact about um, caterpillars as they turn into butterflies. You know, as they, as they put that cocoon around them, it, it gets hard. And, you know, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Why couldn't they just, like, crawl under a leaf and turn into a butterfly, right? But, but they put this cocoon and it's super tight. It's almost... When it's done, it's almost smaller than the original caterpillar, so they're in there so tight. And while they're in there, they're transforming into this butterfly. And then they start, I mean, the, the process to get out of the cocoon almost kills them. 
And there's moments that the caterpillar almost dies trying to push their way out. They have to use their newly formed wings that have never been used for anything to push open that, that cocoon so that it can come out. And then when it comes out, maybe you've seen it, it crawls to the top of that cocoon and its wings slowly unfold and you can see the color and the beauty of it. But here's what's amazing. As we used to have them, they'd climb up when I was little. They'd climb up on the eaves of our house and they'd make their cocoons. And when they were getting ready to come out, they would shake. You could see them. So this butterfly is in there fighting to get out, right? And this thing's shaking. And I always thought, why don't we just go up with a little tiny pocket knife and just cut it open? Here you go, little butterfly. You're free, right? I mean, that sounds good. That's what I want people to do to me when I'm struggling like that, right? Set me free from it. But here's the thing. If you do that for a butterfly, he'll die. He'll come out and he'll never be able to fly. Because it's in fighting against that cocoon that gives its wings the strength to actually fly. And the second part of that, not only is it given the strength to fly, but as they're fighting, a chemical is released in their bodies that goes into their wings that colors their wings. And so if you just cut that thing out and let it out, it wouldn't even live and it would just be this pale, ugly thing. But because of the struggle, because of the fight, I mean, almost to death, he's fighting to get out. He comes out strong. And he comes out beautiful. <laughs> and, and that's why I say it's in the struggle that we find hope. It's in the struggle that we gain strength. It's in the struggle that we gain beauty. Okay? Advent is the arrival. And it's the coming. But here's the thing, Jesus already came, right? So often we think, oh, we're celebrating Advent because Jesus came. Well, he did. But we're really celebrating the coming of Jesus again. That's what we're looking for, to. because Advent's not back, it's forward. And so as we look at this idea, we are looking forward to something good, something that's coming. We're looking forward to the hope of Jesus, right? And so we all want hope. We all need hope. In the arrival of Jesus, he brings us hope. For now and forever. Hope is literally just a feeling of expectation, a feeling that something good is going to happen in your life. That's what hope is. It's really just a feeling. And yet we all want hope. We all need hope. <laughs> and, and now, unfortunately, we live in a world where hope sometimes doesn't just come gushing at us. And in fact, it's easier to be anxious. It's easier to be depressed. It's easier to be angry than it is to be hopeful. And, and, and so, why? <laughs> why is it so difficult to have hope? Why do we live in a world where it seems like a struggle to find it? And again, I would say the reason it's a struggle to find hope, because in that struggle, it's not only where we find hope, but it makes us stronger. <clears throat> and it makes us more beautiful. And just the story of Jesus. I mean, just Jesus coming to earth, you have to question, God, why would you place him in the middle of such a horrible situation? Right? I mean, we talk about darkness, but he, he comes in and he puts Jesus into a family that has no money. And if, if I was God, again, back to the long list of questions I have, it's like, why wouldn't you put him in royalty? 
actually did this. And so these four friends you know, carry this man's mat. And I'm guessing it was not down the street. It was probably into another town. It was probably miles away. They carry their friend on this mat. And then when they get to the town, they find where Jesus is preaching, and it's in this house, and it is literally packed full, so full, they can't even get to the door. Now, me being me, I would probably look at that and go, oh, darn, buddy, we tried so hard to get you here, but we're never going to get you in. But that's not these four friends. They literally take this man up on the roof of the house, they dig a hole in the roof of the house, which I'm thinking the homeowner might not have been super happy about, but they dig a hole in the roof of the house, and then they have to rake up ropes onto his mat. I mean, this is not a simple task in any way, shape, or form. But I look at that, and those friends wanted this guy to have hope. <laughs> and so they put the rope onto the corner's mat, and they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. Now, if you're looking for new friends, find those <laughs> friends. Because <laughs> those are good friends that literally take you right to the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't know what kind of hope he had on the way. I don't know if it was, man, I know this is going to happen, but there he is at the feet of Jesus. And you know the story. Jesus heals him. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 5. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. That young man got the ability to walk. And what an amazing thing. But Jesus gave hope to everybody in the crowd that day. And that's what I believe Jesus came to give us hope, not just physically, but spiritually. And remember, Advent is not looking at the past, because I'm just guessing that young man that was paralyzed quite often thought about the day that he was paralyzed. I just wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't make that decision. If just that wouldn't have happened to me. We're always thinking if that wouldn't have happened. But that's not what hope is. Hope is in front of us. Hope is out there. That's where hope is. And that's what Advent is. We're looking forward. <laughs> now, there are people who may disagree with this. But we do not live in a hopeless world. But we, we don't. Now, however, there are many people that have lost hope. And there's many people that go around and they can't see hope because there's lots of problems. We see them every day. If you watch the news long enough, you might think this is a hopeless world. And there's lack of money. There's marriage problems. There's work problems. There's sickness. There's depression. There's all these things that steal our hope. But we don't live in a hopeless world. In fact, in the midst of all those struggles, we can actually find hope right in the midst of the struggle. You don't have to get out of the struggle to find hope. And, and this sounds really strange, but when we're in the midst of those struggles, when we're in the midst of the problems and the stress, we should actually embrace the struggle. Just like the butterfly embraces the struggle to get out. Why? Because 
embraces the struggle so he's beautiful as he emerges. We can actually embrace the struggle so we can be stronger and more beautiful. You see, the coming of Jesus brings us hope now and forever. And I believe that anybody can have hope. And it doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Anybody can have hope. And I believe there's, there's three things I want to talk to you about today. About finding hope. And Jesus gives us hope that's there. But it's our decision to grasp a hold of that. To grasp a hold of the situation that we are in. And, and the first thing is, hope is a choice. If you want to have hope in your life, it's a choice. Everyone is capable of choosing hope. It's not easy. <laughs> but it's a choice that we can make. It, in fact, choosing hope is taking a step forward to a better life. And you'll never find hope in the past, like I've already said. It's always in the future. And, and I've shared with you before, I went through a, a pretty deep battle with depression. And, and when I was in the midst of depression, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you, I chose depression. And when I would wake up in the middle of the night, I held on to the darkness. I, I, I mulled over all the stupid things I had decided, all, all the mistakes I had made, all these things, that's what I held on to. I chose the darkness. And at some point, in the midst of that, you have to choose hope. And I can remember one night waking up and pacing the floor back and forth, being angry at myself, and all of a sudden going, what am I doing? I'm just, I'm just wasting every night. I'm wasting all these opportunities. And I went down to my bookshelves and I started looking through trying to find some book to read. And I found one just called Failing Forward. You know, I pulled out and thought, this is perfect because I'm a failure. That's what I thought. <laughs> But how in the world do you fail forward? And I began to read that book. And from then on, when I'd get up at night, instead of holding the darkness, I decided to choose hope. And I began to slowly work myself, move myself forward by choosing hope. By choosing to not hold on to the past. To not see all the mistakes. But to go this way. Everywhere is capable of choosing hope. And the second part of that is you have to change your thinking. You have to choose hope, but then you have to change the way you think. You see, in general, we get what we expect out of life. <laughs> if you think it's bad, well, then it's going to be bad. If you think you have hope, then you have hope. We all know somebody, right? You know, Eeyore. Eeyore. Everything's bad, right? I know plenty of people that you can tell them, man, look how blue the ocean is today. That's ah, too cold. I mean, there's always something bad, right? There's those people, but the thing is, even though it's a difficult practice, we can change the way we think. We can go from hopeless to hopeful. 
And part of that process, as I started reading that book, is I was working my way out of depression. Not only did I have to keep choosing hope, I had to change the way I thought. And one of those things I did is every day when I left the house, I literally had to make a list of all the things that were good. And I've told you before, I had a friend that challenged me, instead of looking at all the bad stuff, have five really good things in your life. And that list of five really good things in my life has grown to actually 35 now of really good things. And then the reason it's 35 is because my thinking has changed. And I can write down all these things. But one of the things, my very first thing I started doing is I started saying, today I choose to win. Today I choose that I'm going to do the right things, the good things. And so before I left the house, I changed the way I thought. Because in general, like I said, what you get out of life is what you expect from life. So hope was the choice. We change the way we think. And then number three, we cultivate hope. How do we cultivate hope? We celebrate one victory at a time. I, I make my to-do list every day. And I used to just write down the things I had to do at work. But now I write down everything I can possibly write down on my to-do list. So before I leave the church, the night before I write out my to-do list, and I write everything on there. I write, brush my teeth, make my bed, go surfing. Now those three things I do every day, period. Not every day, I don't surf every day. I think of it. I do brush my teeth every day, you can be thankful for that. But the reason I write those down, because then by the time I get to work, I already have things checked off my to-do list. So if I sit down at my desk and I'll brush my teeth, boom, I win. Made my bed, boom, surfed, boom, checked out. And I celebrate every victory. And then I start getting into the meat of the day. And guess what? When you do one thing and you go, yes, I did that, it builds into something else. It's one small victory at a time leads to success. And if you want to be the number one salesperson in your office, I used to be a salesman and I was a terrible salesman. But I, I'm looking at someone that wants to be the number one salesperson in their office, right? And so you go and you make one sale and you go, oh man, I've got to make 99 more sales to be the top salesperson. Oh. Instead of going, I made a sale. Now I'm one step closer to being the best salesperson in the office. If you want to make a million dollars, you have to make a dollar, right? Do you remember businesses that don't do this anymore? They used to frame their first dollar and put it on the wall. I never understood that. But now I go, they're celebrating their first victory, right? But we made a dollar on our way to being a successful business. Now I know you guys don't care. I love Kansas State football. And last night I watched Kansas State University versus Kansas University. You guys don't care. We're back in Kansas, we call it the Sunflower Showdown. Now when I was a kid, I grew up watching K-State football and they were awful. In fact, in 1989, Sports Illustrated comes out with an article. Right on the front page of the article is Kansas State University the worst football program in the nation. Like, wow, we made it on Sports Illustrated. <laughs> the worst football program in the nation. And they just hired a brand new coach. His name was Bill Snyder. He had no personality. He seemed really dry. We're like, oh, great. Another, I mean, literally, they fired coaches year after year. Bill Snyder comes in. The first thing he does 
is he starts to schedule the worst teams ever in America. I don't know how he found some of the teams. You never even heard of them. So Kansas City would start off their season with some random team you'd never even heard of, and they were the worst football program, even worse than theirs. But here's the thing, they couldn't even beat them. So the first year, they're losing to the worst of the worst. The next year, they started to beat some of these really bad teams. And you know what happened when a football team wins the game? What do they do? They celebrate, right? We won. And when you beat one team, it doesn't matter how bad they are. All of a sudden, you go, oh, we're not that bad. Maybe we can win our next game. And then you start to cultivate hope. And do you know by the fifth year, the Bill Snyder was at Kansas State, the worst football program in the nation, in year five, they were ranked in the top 20 in the nation. And then in year 10, for one week of my life, Kansas State was ranked the number one team in the nation. Now, they didn't stay there, so there's nothing. But think about that. In 10 years, by winning small victories, making the right decisions, one step at a time, they made it all the way from the worst team to the best team. I'm not crying because Kansas State, I'm crying just because I cry easy. But <laughs> we can do that in our lives. We can cultivate hope in our lives. And if we can make one decision at a time, one victory at a time, Jesus came to bring us hope. <laughs> he is the hope giver. And in many of us, we need to discover that. Right? We need the hope of Jesus. And we can discover that it's literally one step away. The paralyzed man, his friends carried him to Jesus. But he had the hope, right? Well, we don't have to be carried. We can literally, we can come to church and find the hope. We can, we can read the Bible and find that hope. We can get on our knees and find that hope. We can put our hope in the hope giver. It's one decision, one step away. In, in Isaiah, it is this place, and it's not Advent, it's not Jesus, but it's Isaiah writing about the hope of God. And I just want to read it to you. It says, Do you not, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting the creator of the ends of the earth. And he will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who and the Lord will renew their strength. I remember in college we had this little tiny chapel that we would meet in for midweek service and some kids would lead music and someone would bring a message. It was just, it was like a mini church. But it was this little tiny chapel. It was always just packed full of college kids. And I remember this particular night I went there kind of down. And I was a college kid and I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I was a little confused. I didn't know. At the time, I wasn't dating anyone. I thought, man, God, am I ever going to get married? Who am I supposed to marry? I was going through all these, these things. And I remember staying there in the chapel, just being a little bit down. And in that moment, I didn't actually 
actually see Jesus. It was just this picture in my mind. But right there in the front of the chapel, I could just picture Jesus with his arms spread out, just welcoming me. And, and I remember in that moment, I've thought about it so many times since then, that literally, he was just saying, he wasn't going to fix my problems. He wasn't going to show me who I was going to marry. He wasn't even going to just say, hey, here's the job you need to do and shake me. He was literally just saying, come here. I will embrace you. Just step into my embrace. And I, I thought about that this week. And, just, and in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of this world that we live in, we have the ability just to step into that embrace of Jesus and to find the hope of the hope giver. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, so that we would have hope, so that we'd have eternal life. In my prayer this morning, Lord, if there is someone here just struggling, I pray, Lord, that they would discover your embrace right in the midst of it. Find your hope in the midst of their struggle. We thank you for the hope you give us. And we just pray this in the name of Jesus.